Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. It's another bonus edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, I'm Peter. Ding dong, the lockout is dead. We are going to get more 2020 Major League Soccer, well, COVID willing, and in the form of a kind of a wonky feeling soccer tournament in Orlando in about a month's time. So to find out all the details of what's transpired over the last 24 hours and to learn more about what happened on Don Garber's media call today, we talked to Jeff Carlisle from ESPN. All right, Jeff, thanks for joining us again and helping us catch up with what's uh, transpired over the last 24 hours. Uh, what was the change in the league stance about force majeure that allowed the players to decide to go ahead and uh, do the vote and then obviously come to an agreement? Well, the change was that previously the, the league had said, and it's a slight modification to what I heard before, but um, you know, sources with, with knowledge of the talks have told me that the league was insisting that if there are restrictions placed on stadiums, you know, if five or more teams had a restriction of, of people in the stadium of 25% or more, that the force majeure could be kicked in. And so, you know, I, originally, you know, I and others had reported that, you know, it was based on attendance, but it was really on like, if there are, you know, if there are municipalities that are restricting how many people can be in the stadium, you know, then this force majeure can be kicked in. Now I'm told that the the language is much more vague. Um, it, it's not, they're not precise numbers attached to the various conditions by which the force majeure can, can be invoked. So, you know, if there is a war or there is a pandemic or, you know, the CBA cannot be, uh, cannot be executed, you know, to the, in the spirit that was intended, um, you know, then force majeure can be kicked in. And, and now it's, there's, there's, I'm told that there is vague language around stadium restrictions, you know, say if, if, you know, the people in Frisco decide that, Hey, your stadium can only be half full, um, you know, that that's something that will be taken into consideration. So, but it's, it's not like a hard and fast number of, of stadiums or, or, or people or, or fans uh, that are actually spelled out in, in the force majeure clause. If, if in fact, uh, the situation uh, takes place that the force majeure is then triggered, is there any known language as to what the fallback position is, meaning um, that players then have to accept a larger pay cut or the season is canceled? Or is there anything of like what happens after the force majeure? Well, the CBA would be terminated. Would just be terminated. So- yeah. So, I mean, once the agreement would be terminated, I mean, that's the thing about force majeure is it, it doesn't just relieve MLS of its obligations. It relieves the players of their obligations as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's not like a lockout where negotiations can continue, but, you know, the players aren't getting paid. Um, you know, this would be a complete termination of, of the deal. So, you know, at that point, all bets would be off. Now, Don Garber had a phone call with the media earlier today. Am I correct in, in repeating that he suggested that the idea of pushing the lockout as an as an option was his idea? He did say that. He did say that it was his decision, and he tried to make it sound like it was his decision alone. But, you know, in situations like this, I think it's important to remember that Garber works for the owners, <laughs> not the other way around. So, right. Uh, I, I have a hard time believing that he did did this with absolutely no consultation with anybody else. And, you know, 
you know, from what I'm hearing from players, you know, the, the lockout language was coming up, you know, prior to last weekend. So I, I don't think that's an accident. Um, and I don't think, uh, you know, again, I have a hard time believing that Garber just made this decision in a vacuum. Uh, no chance. Okay. Uh, but maybe the final decision rested with him and the owner said, hey, if you think that's the way to go, go ahead and do it. But yeah, I mean, it was... You got to believe that there was some consultation going on. Okay, so and the, when you and I talked earlier in the week, you and I bounced back and forth. This, you know, I think a very fair question of does this raise a lot of questions about the financial stability and health of the league? And also in this phone call, he's claiming they're losing a billion dollars in revenue. So there's there's a a billion dollar hit to revenue. Um, so I don't think that means they're they're losing a billion dollars, but. You know, obviously, if your revenues are impacted, you're you're, you're going to be losing more money than you were before. So, um, he said there was a one billion dollar decrease in revenue, which makes sense um, on a couple fronts. I mean, you know, Adrian Hanauer in a in an interview with the the website Sounder at Heart, which is a, a local kind of Seattle centric uh, website. You know, he said that they. Had, the potential was to lose billions, plural. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Garber is saying, okay, there's a, a billion dollar revenue hit. Um, and it, it's plausible given that MLS is a, is a entity, is a league that is heavily dependent on game day revenue. I mean, it's ticket sales, it's yeah. concessions, it's parking, merchandise, all that stuff. So, you know, the TV deal we know only pays the league, you know, domestically for domestic rights, 90 million a year. So, I mean, it's you always have to take what the league says with, on financials with a grain of salt, and especially around the time of CBA talks. Um, but I think it is, you know, plausible that uh, the revenues have been severely. You know, there's there's thirty. You know, it's twenty six teams now. So, yeah. you know, it's uh, if they each lose thirty million or so, uh, forty million. Well, it is interesting that, I mean, that's an interesting number of billion because as you bring up, the TV deal is only worth 90 million over a course of time, uh, which shows you how tiny their TV deal is in relation to everything else uh, they generate in terms of revenue. The other, the other thing that I've, I'm I'm kind of picking up from um, what I'm reading and hearing uh, from different places. I remember the original news that a CBA had been agreed to prior to the year as this great rejoicing from both sides of the coin, the player the owners, the league, everybody was super excited. And today I get the distinct sense that the players don't have that same feeling. It's it uh, that they're all that excited about this new CBA, because I, the one thing I want to make sure everybody understands, whatever was agreed to wasn't just the agreement to go play in Orlando in a tournament. This is the CBA that's in place now for five years. Correct. Until January twenty six, January thirty first, twenty twenty six. Yeah. So this so is a, yeah, this is an yeah. epic uh, piece of news that's happening today, and I'm getting a, a, a I, there's a sense there's a clear shift in the players' attitude about it. And my question is, is that a re, is that just them accepting the reality of a new COVID economy? And it's like, hey, look, this is the best deal we could get. Or are they sour about what went down between the players' association and the league in the last? few weeks and months as they were kind of hammering this at, excuse me, as they were hammering this out. I think it's both of those things. I think there is a sense that they, they did the best that they could. Um, I think the players are very much aware that, you know, we're, we're in a, a different kind of situation with the, with the COVID-19 pandemic. And so they, 
you know, everybody's been impacted financially. And so, you know, some, some sacrifices are going to have to be made, but I think kind of the heavy handed nature of, you know, the, the tactics that the league employed have left a very bad taste in the player's mouth. There's no question about that. Um, I had one player tell me that he thinks that the relations have reverted back to where they were in after the 2015 deal when, you know, the, the the league really turned the screws on them. And then months later started implementing targeted allocation money, you know, in kind of a kind of going behind the union's back almost. And so, uh, so I think there is, you know, some, some unhappiness that there is some bitterness about the way the league conducted itself. Now, if you talk to the league, they say, well, you know, when we, when we gave them our, our, you know, our, our offer on Saturday, that was supposed to be our final offer. And then, you know, the players came back with all these different, you know, uh, you know, different issues, you know, the percentages were different. They, I think the pay, the players tried to get in some deferred pay to be able to claw some of the money back. Um, and so, you know, I, I think, you know, it's a negotiation. So yeah. you're, you're going to get differing, differing perspectives from each side, but, uh, but this, and, league, I get the sense the league feels better about this than the players do, which is a very different mood than we got several months ago when this was first discussed. Absolutely, because now they have a clear path to get back on the field and begin getting some income streams again. So, um, and, you know, that I had one league executive tell me that they could have locked the players out in March. And I'm thinking <laughs> that would have been just catastrophic i mean i i think that's just i think that would have been an incredibly short-sighted decision to make i mean you're saving money in the in the short term but the damage to the league's credibility in the long term i think would have been immense i mean how are you going to recruit international players and convince them that it's a better situation than maybe what they have in their home country i mean usually you could say hey north american lifestyle checks arrive on time Leagues well organized, but you know if you're putting their paychecks at risk or threatening a lockout, that's going to make I think some some international recruits think twice about coming to MLS or think harder about it. I mean, there's there's always you're always trying to weigh things. So. Right. Okay. So, are there any other particular aspects of the CBA that were agreed to that are of significance that people should know or take note of? Not really. I mean, the force majeure. The, the player salary cuts, um, the revenue sharing, um, you know, they, the, the league was able to get that down to 12.5%, you know, for the first year in terms of the, the, the new broadcast rights. I mean, there's, you know, there's what they, the league was making before and then a hundred million above that is, is kind of protected for the league. And then any money above that, the players get a cut that they can pump into the salary budget or general allocation money. So I know I'm getting really in the weeds. On this no, stuff, no, but, I think, I think um, that's important stuff. This is a big contract. Yeah, so, so those were, I think the big three in the end, I mean, the CBA was uh, extended by a year. So like a lot of the salary bumps were delayed. Uh, I think the, you know, 2020 will remain in place, you know, for 2021, because obviously players have been making, you know, their salaries for this year already. Um, and then there's also the cap on bonuses. I mean, I think that's kind of an under the radar thing that, that's flying around a little bit. You know, the, the bonuses are for 
like performance bonuses and you know uh, appearance bonuses. What you whether you're on, in the 18, you get in the game, you start. Um, those are capped at five million for for 2020. So uh, so all of these things are are sacrifices that that the players made, and um, you know it's I, I think it, it's a mixed bag for the players. They, I think they feel like they did the, the best they could, but they just there's some things that they're unhappy about. And yeah. I, it, way that we leave one about it. It, it, it there is a definitely a vibe that at one point not too many months ago you I think most of us had this feeling that the players association had shifted a level of power sharing between them and the league to more of an equitable stance that the players more than ever felt like they had a position of strength and they could really drive negotiations in ways that they clearly weren't able to do it in a previous in the previous CBA and as of today you get the sense that because of COVID and all these other things going on, that maybe that all has evaporated in, on, on many levels. And the players, as that one player said, it sounds like they're back to kind of square one, unfortunately, at least. What the one player told me about going back to 2015, I mean, that's that's not really out of character about, you know, about how these the players, the other players that I've talked to think about this. I mean, I had one player tell me that he was shocked that at this stage of the negotiations, that's when the lockout language you know first appeared i mean i had another guy that say that the league's force majeure clause was just absolutely ridiculous so i mean there's there's you sense that there's been some tension rising as this negotiation has gotten towards kind of the, the, the bitter end which i guess isn't that unusual but you know i think all of this is kind of just accumulating you know for the players and, and kind of leaving leading more of them to to have a a negative feeling about this was do you have any does have they shared or do you know what the percentage of the vote was was it overly no, the, unanimous the union, or anything like that yeah i think if it was unanimous i think the union would have you know been happy to let that number slip out um i'll see if I'll, i'm able to get that later today yeah but, um, interesting. you know it's uh again i think it wouldn't surprise me if it was a really really solid majority um i, I think the players understood, I mean, they were under some time pressure. And um, from the league standpoint, they said, hey, if, if Orlando's going to happen, this needed to be wrapped up this week. Right. You know, that that, that was part of the, the, the rationale for the, uh, the, the lockout threat was that, you know, there was some, t- the league was feeling some time pressure in terms of getting Orlando going. And so now that they have the certainty, they, they can do that. All right. Uh, and before I let you go, let, let me dive into that real quick, which is Orlando. Has the league given any clear uh, timelines as to when they'll start explaining intricate details of how this is going to be set up in terms of game dates and broadcasts and, um, you know, schedules and things like that? Yeah, I think they're still working through that. Um, you know, it's been reported before, I think, by my colleagues at The Athletic uh, that, you know, teams are going to stay within their conference. There wasn't going to be any, you know, interconference play or inter, you know, yeah, interconference play. Um, but we'll see if they they stick to that. Um, you know, it's this has all been a very fluid situation, and uh, you know, I I do give the league some credit just in terms of keeping their plans you know, mostly on the straight and narrow. Yeah. Um. And but then we'll see what happens afterwards. I think there's there's still some. Uh, 
there's still a lot of questions about what happens after this tournament. Yeah. Uh, so essentially they're just going to start playing the tournament and as the tournament's going on, hopefully they'll get some clarity on whether or not they're going to be able to continue to play games after that. Is there a scenario in which the 2020 MLS season effectively ends in Orlando? I don't think so. I, I, I don't think that's the way this is trending. I mean, certainly that would be a worst case scenario. I mean, if we have, if the country experiences a huge spike second wave of COVID-19 and, you know, players don't feel safe. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the league is at least a little sympathetic, you know, to, to that concern. Then, yeah, I could see a scenario where Orlando is it, but, you know, at least just in the way, just kind of reading the, the, the various rooms in each city you, you get the sense that they're opening up more. They'll at least be able to have games without fans. And that's one way that the league can continue. Uh, you know, I, I would love your uh, perspective real quick on the fact that uh, Dan and Clark Hunt successfully negotiated that Francisco Hara deal because they essentially got him for free and they are getting him basically at the beginning of their season. After all, it worked out great for us yeah. in Dallas. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it, it's going to be fascinating how teams cope in Orlando and you get a sense of which teams have been able, have been more diligent about continuing their workouts and continuing their fitness. And, um, you know, I, have got some concerns about San Jose because they play a style that requires a tremendous amount of fitness. And it's going to be fascinating to see how, how well they adapt. Um, it wouldn't surprise me to see them fly out to Orlando as quickly as possible to try to, you know, try to just gain some semblance of, of, uh, of, of match fitness, but it's, that's, I think they're, <laughs> I think they're going to be hurting. All right, Jeff. Well, thanks for all your time. Thanks for your hard reporting on it. And I appreciate you uh, taking time to join me here. Yeah. Anytime, Peter. Again, big credit and big thanks to Jeff Carlisle for joining us. You can follow him on Twitter at Jeffrey Carlisle, or maybe just easier, go to ESPN.com under the soccer section where you can find all of his fine work. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you again on another edition of Third Degree, the podcast.